Recording in progress. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's me, Jack, here at the Social Yet Distance Podcast. And today we've got a really special day. It could be so much fun that you guys get left out of the mix because me and Tony might run off and have cocktails or something. But um, anyway, in in lieu of that, we're going to talk with Tony Nagy, who is a stand-up comedian and content creator. And she's most known for all those viral videos that I put on the on the homepage all the time now. Um, she does interpretive dance. She talks about her philosophies while she's pontificating, gyrating, squirming around like a little weasel. And um, she does promote a quasi-radical, pseudo-philosophical, and somewhat existential, but mostly funny, um, persona and, and presentation in her work. Being with Tony is kind of like microdosing mushrooms. And then an hour, you start to wonder... Was that really a microdose? I'm not sure or not, but it's fine. So let's go dive into it. We're going to talk to Tony and uh, hope you guys enjoy this. Thanks. Tony Nagy. Hi, Tony. How you doing? 
I'm good. Rock and roll. How are you today? I'm actually um, doing well. I'm in an okay mood, so that's good. That's good. How do you define a good mood? Um, I don't fuck around. Like <laughs> hopeful, a little more hopeful, like less feeling of dread. I, like I, not necessarily in the space of self-loathing, but like a little bit like, oh, wow, maybe some things are possible. I think that would be like good. Yeah, I think if I turn the laser on myself, I'd probably agree with you. It's the rest of the world. Um, I'm really starting to believe the shit that everybody else is crazy and it's not me, you know. Um, but, you know, feeling relief from that in any capacity at this point is a good thing. Um, I know you have some particular beliefs about those kind of things. You can expound as much or as little as you choose to do that. Um, so tell me a little bit about your journey, though. I mean, I know that once upon a time you did some writing and things like that. Um, but how do you end up being a half naked um, gyrating glow worm on the screen? I don't know if I'm half naked. I think I'm mostly clothed. Yeah, but I'm baiting the audience. Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think if if you were to see me naked, I'm usually in a man's suit wearing a man's skin. Like, I'm like, I don't know. Which is extremely funny, I might add. <laughs> yeah, I do enjoy a good man's suit. I think it's, um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, you didn't ask that, but I do think it's interesting, like being in a woman's body and how you use your body or your beauty to participate in your work and as a comedian I don't think that um when you are your most beautiful you are your most funny so there is a way in which I'm always kind of examining the role of beauty and how to abandon that social pressure in order to prioritize and focus on humor versus like attractiveness yeah, and you do that very, very well. I mean, the, the the fact that you're attractive just is. But, you know, what originally attracted me to you to begin with was the kind of um, silliness. It wasn't the femininity. It was the silliness that drew me into what you were actually saying. And yeah, that, that's when it becomes educational to me. Yeah, that's kind of my goal. I mean, someone once called me disarming and I thought that was a really interesting adjective um, because I don't think if you're like necessarily like being seduced, you are open hearted, like you are being drawn to someone because there is a seduction involved. But when I think of like the concept of silliness or disarmingness, I think of the potential or the possibility of creating a space where someone feels comfortable to open their hearts and open their minds, which is something I'm more interested in. I'm not as interested in it as attraction, like right. people being attracted is not compelling to me. Well, people that if that's what draws them and keeps them, it's as hollow as any anything else, anywhere else. It, you're You're getting... It's just like sitting in a bar and some guy's hitting on you all night. You know, he's not really offering anything other than he's hitting on you that night, you know? Right. And it's a type of attention, but yeah, it's... you don't want you don't want your audience to be that guy. You know? No, I really don't. I really I really don't. It's not it's just not compelling. Not at all. Um, 
I'm like, that's not the revolution, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you're one of those manly men. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Cool. Um, Yeah. So, but you would ask me, you know, I think the truth is, is I've been making media and content in a variety of forms for many, many years. And I've just been trying different methodologies and practices and experimentation of like, what are interesting, compelling, entertaining ways to philosophize? I mean, I think that's my ultimate objective is to have a philosophical inquiry on existence. And I think that humor, I mean, a lot of people do, you know, it's like humor is this tactic to have conversations where you a can kind of present things in a way where you're like well I'm not serious you know there is like a poetic and an artistic license where you can push boundaries and you're in a way less accountable Mm -hmm. um which I enjoy because I like to be pushing boundaries and I'm not saying that everything I'm believing and thinking and pontificating on is universal truth I don't know I'm just asking questions you know and so I think comedy provides me a um a blanket of which to wrap myself in where I can ask all the questions I want and you know and that's my contribution to society is the questions I'm not I'm not positioning myself as an expert because I think I have a, I don't know, I'm not really into guru worship and I'm not really into experts, even though I do believe there are people who are experts at things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. When you talk like you're the expert, I'm always like, are you though? <laughs> yeah. And why did, if if that's the case, why did you feel obligated to tell me that? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Even though like, I do really appreciate people's wisdom. It's more like the um, hierarchy of conversation. I enjoy a conversation that's dialectic. That is a give and take because I do believe that everybody that's participating in the conversation is adding value to it. I mean, like, so for example, I am a teacher and when I'm teaching, people are paying me to be giving them a service, which is teaching. Right. right. So it's not like I can be like, well, what do you think we should do? You know, but I do have a class that is, what are your needs today? What's, where's your emotions at? Like, is there something specific you want to work on? Like I am bringing in potential for feedback. And then, um, when I choreograph work with the class, so in a dance class, which is what I teach, you know, usually the class ends with choreography. And I used to just like bring my choreography to class where like I would work something out previously. And then I'd be like, this is what I've choreographed. And then I would teach it to people. But then, you know, I don't know, maybe like six or seven years ago, I just kind of started choreographing just in the room with the class. So I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'll pick a song or I'll let even a student pick a song if someone's feeling like particularly passionate about a song. And even though I am the one that's choreographing, I am tapping into the collective energy of everyone that's in the room and I'm feeling how it feels with them and I'm feeling what it feels like in their body. And sometimes I'm like, oh, this doesn't feel good in this collective body. Let's try like this instead. And so it really reminded me that even if I am like, 
leading as a teacher in quotation marks, the process of choreography is a collaborative effort that I'm doing with the quantum energy of everyone in the room. And so it feels like there is this like shared ownership of the work right? at the end of it, even though well, I'm the one who's like, do this. Sure. And, and I think the end result is it's also an actual demonstration of a dance because I mean, intellectually, that's what we do. We, we do these dances in our heads and, and we spar sometimes and sometimes we communicate and sometimes we just throw our hands up. But in that environment that you've described, it, it gets back to universal where everybody has what their needs are that day. They all come together and say, okay, this is what our needs are. Okay, we'll apply this and see if it works or not. And then it either works or it doesn't. And you modify it and adapt it for everybody so that everybody learns from that process and the choreography as well. Because yeah, and the limitations look, of other gonna, people can be right. interesting. Yeah, exactly. And they're not they're not feeling like they left out. They're left out because they didn't get their way. They're feeling like they've grown even more, I would suspect, because they did something outside of the box that they expected. You know. Yeah, and they were energetically involved in the artistic creation of something. Right. Even if they don't say a word just right. by being in the room while I'm coming up with it is they're involved. I mean, right. I think that's the thing with like an improv show. If you were to do an acting improv show, the energy of the people in the audience are participating in the show, whether, you know, right. they might just, whether they call out, you know, like banana or whatever the hell, just them watching, just their energy, just their thoughts, you know, there's so much, telepathic conversation mm -hmm. that's happening you know like who knows why you come up with whatever you're coming up with whatever in front of whatever audience like there is an alchemy that happens when you co-create in space with people absolutely and 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 as an I think that part of the motive is you don't really have an expectation for what the audience gets from it either, because their own experiences are going to be different. You know, it's like I watch my friend Fran who teaches, you know, she's a PhD in poetry and teaches kids in London. Right. Some of these kids just light up at the thought of being involved in that creative process and others don't. They have other things. But I've just kind of watched that process and I'm not saying it's limited to young only. I'm just saying I've seen it there. You know, that just hitting that chemical spark, wherever it comes from, whether it's dance or the, the philosophy or the process itself, you know, wherever that comes from, there's a payoff for everybody. And I can't sit in some power or some position of power control and assume what their needs really are and what they're going to walk away with. I can paint it the best way I want, but can I really, it sounds like you can. I mean, I, I and I see it happen all the time. You know, I had a halfway house full of junkies, you know, they all didn't use dope for a long time, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Why? And a part of it was the alchemy, you know, just like you're saying, which is kind of a funny thing to say about a bunch of junkies, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, alchemy is like a crucial part of existence, which is why people turn to drugs. I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, I think you're doing a great job with carrying your message. I, I, I it, it's exciting to me that that you have those results and that you, you know, look for more um, different ways to engage, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the driving force is around this concept of sharing the self um, because, you know, I do hear a lot of people talk, you know, especially um, in the circles that I'm following on different social media, this concept of like, wake up, you got to wake other people up or, and I'm just like, what? No, actually, uh, to even the hubris to think that you could wake anyone else up, that's pretty arrogant, you know? Like, really, all you can do is is open your own eyes, you know, and then share your journey. And who knows if your eyes are fully open or not, but if you share a journey, that's valuable because you're sharing a journey. And I think that... Mm -hmm the collective consciousness, you know, we all are experiencing, you know, the palette of emotion. So Mm -hmm. when we share ourselves and we share our journey, we're just connecting to the emotional journey of what it is to be human. And I think that is what people, you know, will connect to. And then when we feel connected to others, to the self, to the land, to animals, to plants, that connection, I think, is the medicine for um, dis-ease and ailments and suffering and sadness and depression and anxiety and all that, you know, stuff. I I agree 100%. And, you know, many wise people in my life have told me virtually the same thing in different words many, many times. And, and, you know, at some point I finally heard it. Um, Yeah. very very grateful for that day um and it i i do i take it as a responsibility to the miracles i've seen in my life to be responsive and to share those things um but i have an ego too that sometimes slips where it doesn't belong and has that hubris that you speak about you know and it's because i'm an evangelist about what worked for me Mm, yeah that's the part I forget is it was for me, <laughs> you know, that. Yeah. I, I relate to that. Yeah. So it, it is what it is, but I think you're absolutely right that the, the, the clarify or the closing end of that alchemy is you have to give it away or it's not worth anything, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and well, then, actually, I, I go back to the word sharing versus giving only because I had a conversation about this yeah. earlier today, because giving is like, I give you the cake and now I have no cake. But sharing right. is, oh, we're sharing cake. So right. we share the self. Sure. We share these things because then you are maintaining like your own connection to it because there's the other like kind of martyrdom that happens with giving, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, giving. Sure. Giving versus sharing. I was just talking about this today and I was like, cause I'm trying to like really hone in what my own like personal like 
spiritual, psychological, you know, philosophical <laughs> missions are. Sister, and I'm me, like, I'm... no, it's not about giving yourself. It's about sharing yourself because sharing implies like mutual, ex- mutual, you know, enjoyment. Yeah. I Where I get confused in looking at it that way, and because I do agree with you, but it's that ego part that you mentioned earlier. It's like, I end up being just pissed off. Well, what, you know, what, you didn't see how much I was giving you. <laughs> yeah, that's why giving is more complicated than sharing. Right. Yeah. Cause when you share, you're like, but I still have stuff for myself. You know, I think just like, I like to think in terms of cakes, you know, I still have cake. <laughs> <laughs> so even though you ate half the cake, I still have half the cake. So I'm okay. You know? Well, and, and I, you know, I'm very comfortable in the fact that it's my roommate's birthday and they're in the kitchen making a cake right this minute. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Scorpio. <laughs> yeah, believe me. <laughs> um, so so I again I don't know that that answers how you end up on stage. Oh, how I ended up on stage, I mean, it started off with me just being a writer. And really kind of devoted to that process. And a friend of mine um, was like, oh, you should um, you should submit one of your stories to this podcast, this podcast called Risk, because they're going to be in the area. And I'm just like of a little bit of a generation where like I don't like look everything up on the Internet. I didn't grow up with the Internet. so there's this like kind of like weird kind of where i'm like oh yeah okay a podcast like this was a while ago this was i can't i mean 10 years ago or something or nine years ago and i was like yeah sure podcast and like for me for some reason like a storytelling podcast i just like envisioned in my head a poetry slam like people wearing like berets and being like hey you know the the crow crows and i'm like cool so like (laughs) I submitted my story to this podcast uh, and then they were like, yeah, we would have you on. And they like gave me the time and the address. And I was like, okay, cool. Again, didn't even like look up where I was going, like all of these (laughs) things that I didn't do. And then I get to the event and it's at laugh Boston, which is like one of the biggest like comedy venues in Boston. And it's the last day of like the women's comedy festival and there's like 200 people in the audience and i'm like i've never even spoken into a fucking microphone i'm like wait what the fuck is happening and so like the guy his name's kevin allison who like was the host of the podcast super nice guy i'm like hey yeah so like and he's like trying to get ready for his show and like i'm in the green room and i'm like oh yeah excuse me sir like I've ever actually like never spoken into a microphone before and I'm having a panic attack. And he was like, what the fuck? He was like, why the hell did you, why are you here? He was super nice. I just underneath it. I think he was like, why did you apply to do this? Because everyone else was like a professional comic or storyteller. Right. (laughs) You know? And he was just like perplexed, but he was very polite. He was like, Oh, you'll be okay. And I'm like, wait, so like, do you take the mic out of the stand? Like, how do you do that? He was just like, please no more questions from you. So then like one of the women that was like going to be performing, she was like pretty nice. And she was just like, kind of told me a couple of things and I was just like really flipping out. I was like, what the fuck have I done? Like, why, why, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And then, um, 
but it was a story I had told before, you know, it's not like I, I knew the story. So anyway, then I get on stage and like the second I was on stage, I was like, oh yeah, I'm like, this is correct, you know? And I did a great job. Like, I actually think I did a really good job. It was a bit, it was a total like beginner's luck kind of thing. And then I was like, oh, I should do stand-up. Like, so arrogant, you know? I was like, yeah, I should just, like, do stand-up. I'm a natural. You know, I think I was like, I'm amazing. I'm a natural at this. So, like, then um, I think I went to an open mic. I mean, this is so rude. But, like, I went to an open mic, and it was, like, um, it was, like, 98% guys in their 20s. And I was like, what? You know? And I was like all right you know and it was all com- I mean like if you go to an open mic a co- comedy open mic it's usually just all comics and they were just all just like 20 year old dudes and I was like oh, this isn't really my vibe I think I went to like two or three I was like I'm not into this open mic scene so then I just like lied I just would like <laughs> I would just like write bookers and I would like submit myself to contests and I just lied I was like yeah I've been doing comedy for five years you know and they'd be like where and I'd be like Ohio you know I would just like I just lied and then I like got on this contest and I did really well in the contest and so then I got this like residency in New York to perform like for six or eight weeks or something like that and then I did that and I was so um like manic and like I I was like, I'm gonna write a new set every time I perform. So like literally like every time I performed, I wrote like a new seven or eight minute set. Like never performed the same thing twice. Like did that for a while. And I think I had like such like a, you know, it was like I was so I was like a baby AI where like I didn't, I wasn't really like online yet. So I was just like I had, I wasn't, I was like very fearless. And then there was just like one day where like my grandmother had just died. I had just like filmed like my first film that like I directed and, and it was like a really long, like month long process. And then I had a show like right after that and I go to the show and like, it was like such an epic bomb. It was like my first bomb and it was like performance art, you know, like literally like the crowd was like silent and I, I had two friends come we went out for dinner afterwards and like the friend was like um she was like well it's it's like the point of comedy isn't always to make people laugh and I was like I think that's actually the exact point of comedy <laughs> you know I was like but like thank you for well, like one thing I do know is it's not to resuscitate the dead people at the tables <laughs> well the thing oh the other thing that was really interesting is like after my c- complete bomb the guy next to me, the guy after me did really well. I mean, granted, he had like a lot of fart material, but like he had to like pull the audience like back. Like he he worked really hard to like reestablish their joy that I had just like taken from them, you know? And I, that also taught me like very early on, I was like, there is no such thing as a bad audience. It's like, you're just not connected to them. And like, I knew I wasn't connected to them, but rather than like addressing it or dealing with it, I just like kept like just going down the hole of like my material. And so that's why I felt like then I like was AI that suddenly become like aware of itself, you know? Then I was like fucked up for years performing after that. Like, so no longer was I arrogant. No longer was I just like this like mega confident person. I was like, I was self-aware AI, you know, and 
shows could go really bad or they could go really good. I never knew what was going to happen. It always felt like really out of my control. Like I felt I had a lot of performance anxiety. Um, things just felt so volatile for, you know, the next like seven or eight years, you know, like a while of like throwing myself out there. Um, but like, you know, comedy, I think that I laugh at my arrogance of my beginning, but it was important to be that arrogant because like, it, yeah, it, it like I needed that. And then I was like very severely humbled by years and years and years and years. And then it got to a point my, where my performance anxiety was so bad that I was like, fuck, I think I'm actually like pushing away shows because I dread them so much. Like I did this show that was my first show, like my first show that I was like headlining and doing and produced and directed and organized and like had to deal with the theaters. Like it was so stressful. And I was like in the midst of that, I was like, oh, right. Like this is why people don't do this. Like this is fucking a lot, you know, like I know I, it was a lot that, you know, are people going to come? Is it this, that? It was like 175 seated theater. Like I was like fucked up. I think I lost like a couple of years of like my life in the amount of anxiety and stress I felt for that show. And so after that, I was just like, this is not good. You know, like I have to reimagine my relationship to performance. And I think it was after that, like maybe it was before, but maybe was, I think it was after I did mushrooms and I, I, my intention for the mushroom was, um, to find joy when I perform. And that really helped. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh did did you did you tour a lot like outside of the local region? Well, I performed, yeah, I mean like I performed in New York and Boston and Connecticut and New Hampshire and Vermont and Maine, like all of New England and then LA. And um, yeah, but like I do, I have to book myself and, you know, yeah. send, find a club. Do you want me? Am I worthy of love? And then, <laughs> you know, it's a constant hustle. You're always like, you book a bunch of shows and then you, are you going to dread those shows? Are you going to experience them fully? And then you have to do the shows and you have to book more shows. Like I'm right now booking my spring of next year, you know, like, it's a lot of a lot of um, putting yourself out there again and again and again and again. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. Um, I got some buddies that are probably a couple of years ahead of where you are and in, in their success in that realm. Um, I'll send you some info because I they're buddies enough that I could tell them to talk to you. Yeah, cool. I always need some buddies to talk to. Yeah, to further my success. Everybody needs buddies, and um, everybody needs some buddies. Yeah, and they, and they uh, they're good enough that they always need people around them as well, or, or you know, podcast guests, or come up with a special you know, ten episode deal that they do or whatever. But they're, I mean, they're for real. So we'll we'll talk about that offline some i'm just bragging that's all <laughs> yeah yeah like a little bragging <laughs> um so what do you what do you got going on now though i mean from now forward where do you where do you see yourself going i mean in your career right this minute 
So I think for like a while, my objective was just about like getting up on stage and, you know, building a name for myself. Um, because there's two worlds, there's the internet and then there's like your life on the planet, you know? And I think for me, the, the internet stuff, you know, I've been making videos, like I said, for like a really long time. And I love making videos. Like I love making a variety. I love making films. Like filmmaking is really interesting to me. I love editing. I like making music videos for other people. Like I taught myself how to edit and like, I've, I made some really dope music videos. I got to say, I'm really proud of them. Like, I think I'm a good editor and I've enjoyed that process, but there's something about like live shows that I've been like, just think, Oh, well, the thing about, you know, the entertainment business is that it's a business. And what do I do? I'm an anti-corporate fucking like anarchist, you know? And I'm like, so who wants to sponsor my anti-corporate message? You know, like you were saying before we talked about monetizing and I'm like, you think that I've fucking monetized myself? Like, I have not been able to just like a deep throat, whatever um, corporate dick I'm supposed to do that because my whole message is the opposite. So there's that like journey I've been on. Um, But also like we live in a capitalist society and the amount of fucking work I've put out like for free is mind boggling. So, um, no, it's not, believe me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a really awesome, I think it's Jillian Welch who sang the, um, original song where everything is free. And it's like, just about the, uh, it's such a beautiful fucking song. I recommend it to any artist. It's any person, everyone's an artist. Um, but dot, dot, dot. Oh yeah. So it's like, how can I have control of my own career and over my own messaging is just like to just keep being my own, you know, advocate and promoter. And so I've been doing these live shows. I have two live shows and then one that I'm working on. So one live show is about parenting. It's called go to your womb, which I think is a pretty clever i'll see an ad or a link or something for that oh i'm sure yeah i've done that show a couple times i'm get i'm touring it so it's going to keep happening it's with me and my daughter who's 13 Mm -hmm. and it's really looking at parenting and trauma and intergenerational trauma but through the lens of like comedy and dance and clown and all sorts of things it's like a very interactive show and just doing a show with my 13 year old daughter is bananas um it was a really interesting process of like working on that show together and performing it with her. I just think that there's, and I'm really just looking at like the trauma of being parented basically and how like we are all so traumatized by being parented. And if we were to really face that trauma of our childhood, I do think we would be in a completely different world. And so like part of the work is around examining and picking at the scabs that we have around how we were parented. So that's one show. Another show I wrote and I'm like now starting to tour is called Men Come Inside of Me. Um. And I also think that's a really good title. So I pat myself yeah. on the back yet again. See, we can we can tap into my ego arrogance with my titles that I'm so proud of. Um, so men come inside of me is just about like all these like kind of like five archetypal men who I feel who I like present on stage like as characters. 
And am I like putting a spotlight on a certain sense of like toxic, whatever masculinity? Sure, sure, sure. But between each character, I become myself and talk about why I relate to that guy and that that guy actually lives inside of me. He's like a part of me, which is why it's called men come inside of me. So it's kind of like looking at like, masculine archetypes but then like me deconstructing my relationship to these masculine archetypes and how I personally also embody these masculine archetypes and also like just the societal kind of like confusion around um feminine and masculine archetypes that we're always both kind of being pressured to fit into in different ways and so that one's about like really building compassion um for these like archetypal psychologies that I absolutely think we all kind of experience this on a different spectrum and then the third show i'm working on since you ask is called grape culture and it's a comedy a tragic comedy about rape culture and i'm doing that with a um a friend of mine named sarah buckner and that one i mean i just don't think there's enough comedy about rape so that one's really looking at rape there's this like I'm just sorry. Rape culture is culture. Like rape yeah, how is about this? period. Circumcision. How come we don't get to talk about circumcision? You do get to talk about circumcision, and it is a complete sexual assault and physical mutilation. It's a big fucking problem. Yeah. yeah so like that is part of rape culture. Like I honestly think all of culture is rape culture, and so. That's kind of looking at um, all the ways in which like capitalism, the prison industrial complex, our relation, the medical industrial complex, like how our bodies are um, are out on the chopping blocks of capitalism to be raped constantly. And then how the whole scientific method and whole the scientific theory, which was founded by Francis Bacon, is all, you know, formed from his thinking and his thought patterning around raping nature. And how nature is supposed to be dominated and his whole, like, basically the father of science is talking about, like, nature rape, you know? So, and then obviously with the war that we're seeing right now and the violence that's happening, like, rape is a huge part of it. And, I mean, I could go on and I... Yeah, I I mean... I could do an hour and a half show about rape, which is what I'm going to do. But in the language of comedy, you know? And I, I think that... I think comedy is a really important way to talk about rape because we talk about rape as if it's not happening all the time. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's funny. Um, I mean, I certainly agree with everything you say, but I also think about like, I am the guy who will sit here and bend your ear for 45 minutes about some emotional distress or psychological distress. I'm, you know, having at that particular moment, be crying, you know, basically having a panic attack, the whole fucking shebang. And at the end, I'll, I'll make a joke. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, just kidding about all that. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck is that about? That's because I got circumcised, I think. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I also think it's about like, you know, the yin and yang of life. It's like, if we just sit in trauma as if trauma is only supposed to be expressed through like this very serious like modality, I don't think that's honoring like how trauma is actually like a collective experience that we are all 
collectively constantly digesting and well, like to just worse daily it gets worse and people don't even notice it yes and to just think everything has to be one tone like <laughs> there's um they did this like um kind of study thing or whatever in Rwanda like after the genocide where they sent all these psychiatrists over to Rwanda and they were, you know, the intention was like, oh, we'll give psychotherapy to these um, Rwandan people. And that's going to help them deal with like the massacres that they just experienced. And a lot of the people were like, what? Like, I don't want to get into a fucking room with like fake lights and talk about my problems. I want to go outside. I want to dance. I want to drum. I want to like remember why life is worth living. I want to sing. Like they were like not resonating with talk therapy at all as a means of um, quote unquote trauma release. So, I mean, laughter is trauma release. Mm -hmm. So that's what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's no doubt that uh, it's, I've always called it a pressure valve. It's my pressure valve at the end that lets off the rest of the steam so I can be done with it. Yeah. Yeah. I it agree. It doesn't always end up that way, but that's kind of a way I've noticed it as a defense mechanism. That's why what I'm doing actually, you know, it's a defense mechanism and it's a protection mechanism and it's a yep. healing mechanism. It's yep. not and just one it, thing because I've done the work. I know exactly where it comes from too, which mm -hmm. is a fortunate, fortunate thing. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, Tony, I could talk with you forever. Um, you know, just one-on-one, I don't want to bastardize your time anymore. And, um, I know you got things to do as well later. So, um, you know, unless you've got something you want to pimp or sell or harp, harp, you know, please let the folks know how they can get a hold of you and whatnot. And then uh, we'll just, we'll call it an early night. Yay. Okay. Yeah. My website is toninaj.com, T-O-N-I-N-A-G-Y. So all information is there. Cool. Well, you yeah. guys so, uh, go and visit Tony. And uh, until then, I'll see you guys on the next time. Thank you and goodbye. All right. I'm going to end it. Um, I'll edit out all the bullshit probably this weekend, assuming everything goes technically okay. Yay. Um, is there a fucking retrograde somewhere I don't know about? I don't know. Uh, Nothing's retroing right now. No, I think it's just you. You're in retrograde. Just kidding. No, the universe is hunting me down wherever you are. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's just feed that one, shall we? Um, really, I hope there's a lot more. I really do, Tony. I think there's a lot of opportunity here, and I think we could help each other a lot. Some of the, the, these things that you're you're dreading, I'd love to be a help uh, to, to barrier those things for you. Oh, yeah. Um, thank you. I mean, I, my ultimate idea was to have the social yet distanced network, which included other people besides myself. Uh -huh. So we got to put a, a Tony channel there and you want to post, a, you know, something every once in a while, then we could do that. Or if you want to give me permission to post your repost your videos. Via well, you can link, repost my video anytime. Yeah, I repost your shit a lot, actually. Um, and I did notice that <laughs> I told you I do research and you may or may not like this, but I have an app. So when I was at your YouTube shop um, site, I can look and see what all your stats are and stuff. 
And there was a time when it was spiking up. And it looked oh, like on YouTube. Yeah. Do you YouTube monitor is, it at all? Do you YouTube is so. No, I mean, YouTube is kind of so dead for me. I've never been, I have not been able to like make that alive. Um, I think there's probably some things I'm learning things recently that are proving very, very beneficial that I never knew either. I've had a YouTube channel for 10 years and never got any traffic whatsoever. And then I started doing this and all my buddies would go and look and then it would be done. You know, there's no, no external growth, no marketing from YouTube, no nothing. And, you know, I'm changing some keywords, redoing my titles. You do great on your titles. I don't know why you're not doing better than you are just with the titles. Um, I don't know. That kind of thing. I mean, all I'm saying is I'm at your disposal. If there's anything I can do to help um, in any of those areas. I'm all Yeah, and I'd love to meet any of your buddies that you think would be of yeah, good connections. Um, Corey, um, Corey and Trey from the um liberal rednecks oh uh, cool you know what i'm talking about i feel like I that sounds familiar i can't think of his full name Corey feldman Corey ryan foster that's it and um trey crowder liberal then, rednecks yeah that sounds like my vibe um trey crowder's big time i mean he's cool he lives in LA now and he tours all the time. They just put out a book. They're doing all kinds of shit. And yeah, I've, cool. I've been picking on them for months and months and months, just like I did you. Um, and they keep putting me off because they have tours and whatnot that pop up, you know, their agent will call them and say, Hey, can you go this next weekend? You know, and they'll have to go. So, um, I, you know, it just hasn't worked out yet, but I, I can at least get them your information. And you now, yeah. you, I'll send you a text at some point in the next 24 hours. If I can remember, uh, I know his management company. I just got to go look it up and then you can deal directly with them too. Uh, cool. Booking and shit like that. But um, if nothing else, I'll get you in the door with some, you know, some additional bookings. Um, That'd be cool. Yeah. And, and maybe, I don't know how much, did you ever do Atlanta? No, I haven't. Like Atlanta, Nashville, Chattanooga, Charlotte, you know, anything south of Mason-Dixon from where you are. Are, are you in Boston? Or in I'm in Maine? New Hampshire. New Hampshire. That's funny. I would have guessed that. Um, yeah. So, I mean... You know, and of course, I'm in Florida. I know a few people here, but not really. Um, the ones I do know, I don't like. So I wouldn't send, I wouldn't sick you on them. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right. So I'm going to let you go. But um, all right, great. Thank you. Your eyes peeled. And if something comes across and you need something, let me know and I'll, I'll follow up as needed. Great. All right. Sounds really good. Have a great Thank day. You, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Now, baby.